Pulp MX Network production. This is the Rocky Mountain ATV MC Kiefer Tested Podcast. The podcast you come to for the straight insight on all things motocentric. Hard parts, bikes, gear, suspension, motor mods, and more. It's Kiefer Tested. Here he is, Chris Kiefer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Rocky Mountain ATVMC.com Kiefer Tested Podcast presented by Fly Racing and Racetech. Rocky Mountain ATVMC.com is the trusted online source for parts, accessories, gear for dirt bikes, side by sides, ATVs, and street bikes. Low prices, unparalleled customer service, and free three day shipping over 75 bucks. It's easy to see why Rocky Mountain ATVMC.com is. The trusted online source for all of us out there that love to do fun stuff in the dirt, street, whatever you got, they can handle it. And of course, Fly Racing, flyracing.com, light hydrogen gear. This guy probably doesn't want to talk about it that's in the studio right now, but I do love the gear. They just released the new Formula Helmet, so that is out for you guys listening to this now. It'll be out next week, which will be the 4th of February. Do yourself... And maybe your lovely significant other for Valentine's Day and go check them out. Flyracing.com. Racetech, racetech.com. Chris Riesenberg, Rob and the guys are doing a Honda CRF 250R project for me. You're going to build a motor, suspension, doing the whole damn thing. They can do it all. They do engine, suspension, vintage bikes. You got old bikes, they got parts, they got seals, they got bushings for you. So check them out. Racetech.com. So, like I said, I have a guy that has been a part of my life for quite some time. And it goes back so far that even my wife and my child, Aiden, has red hair. The man sitting here with me today in the studio has red hair. Andy White, formerly from KTM Canada, formerly from Diablo Honda. Oh, I can't believe I remembered that. And now FXR Racing. What is your title now, Andy? Well, my title is Brand Manager... Athlete guy, sponsorship. So you got a lot of slashes. A lot of slashes. A lot of hats to wear. Yeah. Um, involved in many, many areas at FXR. So for you guys listening out there right now, maybe not familiar with Andy, um, in 2004. Correct. Yeah, I was testing with KTM and Ryan Raglan a lot. Andy was the team manager for KTM, the factory team up there for the motocross. Correct. And you called me. You said, hey, do you want to come racing? You emailed me. I did? Yes. What did I say? You're like, hey, um, I hear you're looking for riders. All right. Yeah, I'm proactive. I like that. Um, I'd be a great choice. Yes. I'm currently testing with Ryan Ragland at KTM US. Okay. I would be, it'd be turnkey. Simple. Did you know who I was? I was like, Chris who? Okay. Yeah. No, you know what? I'd heard your name, but I didn't know much about you. Okay. So I checked you out and made some calls, and you were the real deal. Okay. And um, I thought, you know what? And you actually sold it in a way that, hey, I'm probably not going to come up and win championships, but right. I'm going to help your team to win championships. And we had a West Coast and East Coast program, so we had four riders on a program, and you said, I can help you develop these bikes to win. Right. And uh, we had uh, 
Jimmy Nelson. Yeah. On the West Coast, and we had Michael Willard. Yep. And Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes. On the right. East. And um, I don't think you knew Willard, and I don't think you knew Barnes, but uh, you knew the bike. Yeah. And um, I was lucky enough from Rod Bush when he was alive at that time. Uh, he was the president of KTM USA. He gave me the new 250Fs right. at the beginning of 2005. So let me give you some backstory on that. So I was riding them probably 16 months before they got to you guys up there. Mm-hmm. And for you guys listening at home, it they were pieces of shit. I mean, straight up. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. it. They weren't ready to come out. Like, they they... I remember being in the R&D process. They weren't the motors were always awesome, right? It's KTM. The motors were good. It's just the chassis and the suspension wasn't up to par. Um, it vibrated a lot. There's a lot of things that I feel like it wasn't ready to go to production, but they did. And this is still, you know, back when 125 two-strokes were still popular. This the four-stroke technology was coming out. Um, Yamaha was was doing it, so KTM got on board. And one of the first things it's weird to think about now how far KTM has come, but like. KTM wasn't the innovator of this. You know, they actually followed suit in the in from the Japanese. That's which, right. We were the I guess one of the last teams to come out with a four stroke. Right. Yeah. Um so then yeah, I was riding it with Ryan Raglan here and I wasn't racing it in Supercross. I was still on a one twenty five. I didn't want to convert yet because obviously I felt like it wasn't ready and I wasn't ready to ride it in Supercross. Um, as you know, carburation and hesitation in Supercross is a deadly combo. So I felt like, hey, I have a fast 125, a.k.a. Big Boar, a.k.a. Ryan Raglan Special. So I kept the two-stroke, but I thought it was uh, pretty cool that the Canadian team was going to do this, and I wanted to be a part of that to see if I could help Andy. So that was my, you know, and I wanted to go racing, right? I felt like I could still do decent and go race. So you actually said yes. You had sent many, many emails, and I hadn't said yes at the beginning, but you finally worked me over, and I (laughs) said, you know what? This makes sense. Let's make it happen. And I was cheap. You were cheap. Yeah. And it was good because it was West Coast. You were living the West Coast, and it was easy to fly up and back and forth in Canada. Yeah. And um, it just worked out really well. Yeah. you were able to smuggle parts up to us and yep. bring us some cool parts and and help us with the uh, production bikes that we had. Uh, there was really no parts or anything available for these bikes at all. It was all everything was production and yeah, no engines were stocked too, right? Totally stocked. Yeah, um, FMF built us some pipes for it. And that was like custom stuff because mm-hmm. it really wasn't out, right? Um, we actually got lucky because we, I think we got. We had four riders, and we had five bikes. We had one bike as a spare parts bike. But Michael Willard, living in Ohio, uh, and being, um, I guess, an early Orange Brigade-type rider before it came out, he was able to get a 250F from the head office that was based in Ohio at the time. And so he had one at home, and he was able to practice on that. And that was huge for us because then he would come up and ride his race bike. Right. They were identical. They both had pipes. They were carbureted, ran race gas, factory connection suspension, and and uh, we know that what happened. He won two championships yep. with that bike and uh, was unbelievable. But uh, you had a big part of it because you really connected with Willard. Um, Heather and I talk about this today. Like 
I, f- I feel like I was babysitting. Like he almost hired me as a slash babysitter. I didn't know. I didn't know him very well. Right. Um, he was a shy young kid from Ohio. Someone gave me his name and number and said, "Hey, this guy rides KTM's. Maybe you want to call this guy." Yeah. And back then, there wasn't that many riders racing KTM motocross bikes. Um, off road, no problem. But motocross, it was totally different. And I would search high and low through Cycle News and every freaking magazine trying to find KTM riders to come up north and ride. Because uh, guys who were riding the Japanese bikes didn't want to ride it because it had no link. That's <laughs> true. You say that because KT, like it's it's tough to remember, man. But man, you I didn't want to ride a KTM. Like oh KTM, you're test riding for KTM Kiefer. Like oh, it, they weren't the bikes that they are today. Like everyone kind of shied away from them. They did. Um, I even heard from upper management. Kurt Nickel was one of the guys I reported to. And he said, you're going to have a difficult time finding riders to come up and ride the bike without a link. I said, when are we going to get a link? He's like, I'm pushing hard to get a link. That's what we need to get the next generation. But KTM was selling a ton of off-roads. I don't think in the off-road world you really need a link. I mean, that, I still don't yeah, know honestly, the answer. Yeah, honestly, in Supercross, I didn't have one either. And, it, and I'm telling you, in the whoops, it was one of the best bikes I've ever had in the whoops. Mm. It stayed straight, always stayed straight. Anyway, so we got you up, and we started a great relationship, and um, you were with us for many years, and you helped Michael Willard. And I think Michael needed someone to kind of look over him and, and help him out, and you you were that guy. Yeah. And um, you were able to control him. And so maybe part of your contract was rider slash R&D <laughs> slash babysitter. It was good. Michael was a great kid. He's man, I really I love the guy still to this day. He's a he's a good-hearted kid. He has a great family. And for you guys listening out there and I've told Andy this, I'm a big people person. I like great people and Michael was one of those. But basically I wanted to do a podcast with Andy just because he's seen so much up in the in the everywhere, not even here in America, but in up in Canada, man. He's you, you've been around a long time. So let's let's take it back to when you first started riding. And then you knew you, that's just, you know, I didn't even know you had national number 12. Yeah. Um, I started riding in 79, 80, and I was, uh, I was 16 years old. I started late. Did your parents ride or anything? No, no. Um, we rode BMX bikes and stuff like that. And uh, I actually moved to England in 76. My dad was an engineer for Rolls Royce, and we got transferred to England. And uh, we lived near Donington Park. Um, and they had a, a full-on road race track, and they had a motocross. They called it a scrambles track back then. Okay. And uh, we used to get free tickets because of the noise of that track. It would really piss off the locals. So the small towns around would get free passes. So we would go to all these races for free, and I just got hooked on any kind of racing. And I, I, I remember one of my buddies over there in, like, 1978, 79, had, like, a small dirt bike. And I'd never ridden one. He's like, here, man, try it out. And I twisted the throttle, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to get one of these things. And then, like, a couple months later, we get transferred back to Canada. And um, I bumped into people that had dirt bikes. And I saved up some money and went out and bought a a small dirt bike. And at 16 years old, and basically got hooked. And I think my first race was at the end of when I was 16 on a YZ125. 1980 air cooled. Oh wow. oh wow. And I raced that 
locally amateur races and stuff and a lot of people complimented my riding style and I was new to it and I just loved it and I was hooked and um I went from uh you know beginner to junior to intermediate to pro by 84 85 and then I started racing the pro nationals in Canada against Ross Patterson, Alan Dick, Mike Harden. Was Valencourt there too? No, Valencourt was uh he was younger at that okay. time. All right. Um and um cross the country back and forth chasing after championships and you know getting some decent results and getting support from Yamaha Canada okay. with bikes and parts. And I remember in 87, um, Yamaha didn't bring out the YZ490 anymore. And I was like, what am I going to do now? I was a full-on Yamaha guy. And I tried a Honda CR500 85. And uh, I said, oh no, it was an 86. And I said, I couldn't believe how fast this thing was, how it handled how it didn't overheat because it was liquid cooled, and I switched over to Honda right away and got Honda support, and ran Hondas from eighty seven to ninety ninety six ninety seven, and then uh, went back to Yamaha and started racing them again on YZ two fifties and the, I think it was a, was it the YZ four hundred or four twenty six back then? Four, well, yeah, they started with the four hundred yeah. and they went four twenty six. And then um, the 400 was actually better than the 426. 426 was too gnarly. Was it? Yeah, it was super aggressive. I, it was new for me because it was a four stroke and it was different. But um, I um, I started a suspension company. Well, started. I helped work at a suspension company. And uh, Lee Tinkler and myself from Canada took it over and we ran it. And it was unbelievable the amount of work we were getting. Uh, I was racing every weekend. So I was bringing work home. From, or work back to the shop after oh, so races. Get guys assist off and bring. Uh-huh. Okay. And um, we were getting uh, inquiries from all across Canada. And the problem back then was it took too long and too expensive to ship product from one end of the country to the other. And all of a sudden, we were getting phone calls from people that wanted to, to partner with us and buy a franchise. So we franchised our company out called ProTech Suspension to five locations coast to coast. ProTech? Protech suspension. Okay. P R O T E C H. We had a Protech here in America too, right? Yeah, I think it was P R O P R O T E C. Okay, that's okay. Anyways, uh, we um, we worked with um, um, White Brothers. They were uh, a big distributor of um, shock seals and fork seals and all that kind of stuff with John Anderson way back then. Yep. And um, we were bringing a lot of product. Uh, springs and shocks and everything up in Canada. And we were actually signing riders like Carl Valancourt, JSR, Marco Dubé. We had all the top guys. Hmm. And I was racing pro at the same time. And I remember sitting on the starting line at Montreal Supercross. And there I am on my, uh, what was it, YZ or CR. And I looked to the left and there's Marco and JSR running my suspension stickers. And I looked to the right and there's a bunch of other guys running my stickers. And I'm like, Maybe it's time for me to hang this pro career up and start working on suspension. So that was kind of your epiphany on the line? Yeah, because I was like, man, these guys are way faster than me, and I'm trying to beat these guys, and I'm trying to help them set up their suspension the best I can, basically, to beat me. Hmm. So I was like, you know what? I've had a good career racing pro, so I backed it down and went into uh, started following vet races 
and uh, had a really good time racing that. And it just really opened the door to work with pros from coast to coast. And then we opened up a, a location in New York State. So we were pulling a lot of product out of the States. Okay. And then um, we ended up buying a, a, a Honda dealership in Montreal. And uh, we changed the name to Diablo Honda. Diablo Honda. And, and that's before, this is, you didn't have a race team yet. This is what you're. This is the first dealership race team kind of program under my supervision. We supported teams with suspension and stuff. Right. So um, we signed up um, Marco Dubé. Yep. Uh, we had um, Mitch Cook. Wow, Mitch Cook, yeah. Yeah, Mitch Cook. Um, a bunch of French Canadians on the team for the first year or so. And then we. Um, with Marco, we actually had um, uh, a few Americans come up from Montreal Supercross, like uh, JT yep. and uh, the the Butler brothers. Okay, they would come up, and we'd loan them Hondas. What year was this? Oh two, oh three, oh four, around there. They would just fly up, and we'd lend them a production Honda, mm-hmm. and um, it worked out well. We um, we had Marco Dubé and Doug DeHaan. On yes. our Diablo Honda program, and then um, I uh, in two thousand and three, we ended up signing Mike Treadwell and Keith Johnson from New England. I'll be down. And we brought them up, and that was incredible. And funny enough, Suzuki approached me and asked um, if I knew anybody that could ride a a Suzuki. Mm-hmm. And um, since I was bringing Treadwell and Johnson up. John Dowd was there riding RMs. Okay. So they said, hey, and they're all buddies. They're super tight. So John decided, you know what? I'm going to come to Canada too and ride a uh, an RM 252 stroke and race the Canadian Series. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that was, I used to love coming home. Canadian Nationals were up on TV. And that's kind of how I got the, you know, the the want to come up to Canada. So I remember watching Doug Dubok come up. And yep. race in 2000. Yep. yep, and that's when I was like, "Oh man!" Because I was testing for Yamaha then. Yeah, and I realized like, "Man, Doug's up there killing it. I want to go try it. It looked fun. It looked laid back. I liked the tracks. Like it just looked cool, you know." Actually, I I should have started the story properly. In 2000, Marco Dubé hired me to be his mechanic and race team manager for the Suzuki factory race program, and uh, they had Simon Homans on the oh, team. Boy. That's a whole other story we can yeah. get into. Derek Fisher, Jason Thorne. Dude, Derek Fisher was fast. Incredibly fast yeah. on that 125. Yeah. So I, I managed that team, and I was Marco's mechanic, agent, slash everything. And uh, we finished second behind Dubok that year uh, when he brought up that new uh, four-stroke Yamaha. D- did Marco ever yell at Doug? Uh, why would he yell? I don't know. Marco just seems like a hothead, like he's pissed off all the no, time. Back then, I mean, I knew Marco later on, but he was mellow. Yeah. But man, Marco seemed like he was... He had respect for Doug, because okay. uh, Doug's name was big in the industry, and it was a smart move with Yamaha to bring him up and ride this new four-stroke. And Doug didn't win every weekend. I mean, Marco and Blackfoot guys were doing well, but Marco ended up getting uh, national number two behind uh, Dubok that year. And it was a great, great season, and... Then he left Suzuki and came onto my Honda program. When did, how long did the dealership last? Uh, we opened it up in 2000, end of 2000. And um, at the, near the end of 2004, I saw a job opening at KTM, 
Canada for a race director. Okay. And a friend of mine forwarded it to me and said, this has got your name all over it. And I got kind of tired of dealing with the retail at uh, the dealership. Right. And um, it was tough business. Um, so I sent in a resume, and I got a call and said, um, in a couple of weeks, we have the World Supercross event at Toronto Supercross that year. And um, Rod Bush would be in town to interview me. So I went and sat there for the interview. Never met him before. Had my resume. He read it over. He sat me down. And he said, you have one hour to tell me why I should hire you. Oh, shit. That was your interview. That was my interview. Oh, I wow. had to do all the talking. Wow. And I was like, okay. So basically told him the truth and everything and what I thought I could bring to the program. And a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call saying, we'd like to offer you the job. And it was, uh, it was a really good program. And it was KTM Canada was fairly new. And um, I thought this would be a great opportunity. So I sold off my portion of the dealership to my partner and took on this uh, project. And it ended up being, uh, you know, a, a really good uh, program. And I I learned a lot working with KTM. Oh, yeah. I was there from 2004 to 2014. Oh, wow. Ten years. So 10 years and went through a lot of managers in California um, working with um, Kurt Nickel, Casey Lytle. Yep. Larry Brooks. Larry Brooks. Really? Yeah. Larry was, was there at the very beginning. He was? Yeah. Huh. Um, I don't remember that. Yeah. He wouldn't give me any parts. Okay. No. And I actually talked to him at Loretta's <laughs> last year, and we joked about it. I said, why were you so freaking stingy with the parts? He's like, I didn't have parts for that bike either. Oh, yeah. No one had anything for that. Like, what so, I had was an R&D, and yeah. I would bring up. That was it. That's what we had. Well, I had another guy that I would be bringing up later and that was Sleater. Yep. And Sleater is replaced you, I believe. Yep, in yep. So I left, Mike came in. I went to Yamaha and Mike came into my spot. So part of Sleater's job was to smuggle parts from the R and D and bring them up for us. And he did. He helped us out and did a great job. And I think he I think Larry knew what was going on. Yeah. I mean we weren't taking big stuff, just little things to help us out. So it worked out well. Anyways, uh I uh, went through uh, the KTM program for 10 years, won a lot of championships. Yeah, so what was your first what year was your first championship for KTM? Um the first year in 2005 with Michael Willard. Okay. And then 2006 with Michael Willard. Um back-to-back championships. And then Nye was the first winner of a of the full series, correct? That's right. They went from east and west to a full series. So right. Eric Nye nailed that one down and um so I got three championships, one we had the ladies pro championships as well in Canada. Big bike championship. I think I came so close. I got second with Cornell Nemeth. Oh, that's right, Cornell. the Hungarian. Yeah, he, who was out of all your guys that you had in over the ten year, the ten years? Who was your favorite to work with? Besides me, of course. <laughs> I would say Mason Phillips from New Zealand. Yep, he was a really good guy, honest. He knew what I could deliver. He never asked me for more than what I could give him, and he was very respectful. Um, he came from production bikes, and whatever he got, he was extremely happy with, and we treated him well, gave him good equipment. He l- rented an apartment right from the next to the race shop, and he would work day in and day out helping us with 
anything from building bikes to cleaning the race truck to cleaning the awning, whatever it took. He worked really hard. So let's get to the nitty gritty. Who was the worst one to work with? <laughs> Come on, you know we got to say it. It's okay. Sometimes wow. shit doesn't work out. Who was? I would just say worst. Who was the hardest one to deal with? I guess. The hardest one to deal but, with. Before you say this, yeah. the reason why I ask this is because I was a part of the of the process what went on, and I saw it. Like I was old enough to sit back and and understand your headaches that you had to deal with. Like I was racing, but I also was older than the other guys on the team, so mm-hmm. I kind of understood it. And so I was like sitting back when I wonder what, who's the worst or just the hardest one to deal with. I don't think there was one guy that was like wicked hard, and I was like oh my God, this is like the worst contract I ever signed in my life. There were riders that were very demanding and on me and on themselves. Um, I think Marco Dubé was one of the toughest guys to work with. He was an ex-two-time Canadian champ, and I don't think he was... He wasn't still getting faster. He was kind of going down slowly, and I don't think he could accept that. And he put a lot of pressure on himself and me to deliver and find him the best equipment and test, test, test. And it was it was hard for both of us. Um, it's funny. Today, we still we actually work together for the same company, yeah. FXR. And we talk on a daily basis. And we have great respect for each other. And we worked really hard together. And like I said, we were building suspension for him and. Jeez, 97, 98, I was his manager in 2000, hired him on Diablo, hired him on KTM, and now he's a a sales manager for FXR in the province of Quebec, and he's doing a fantastic job for us. So you're with KTM for 10 years, you decide to do something different? Hey, what's up? Technology. That's what I'm talking about here. It's a great thing. I love it. But I also can pull my hair out with it as well. However, there is a company that you probably have seen on the Rockstar Husqvarna race team, Dean Wilson, Jason Anderson, called Skosh. It's spelled S-C-O-S-C-H-E. You can go to skosh.com and check out all the products. They have really, really cool stuff. They have headphones. They have boom bottles. They have phone chargers for your droid, your iPhone. They have magic mounts. They have wireless chargers. They have huge cables that will reach all the way across your house if you need a charger and you don't have an outlet close, like my house. I don't have that many outlets. They just have a bunch of cool products to make your life easier when you're out in the garage, when you're in your car, when you're at your house. Just I'm really, really pumped to have these guys on board because they sent me some stuff. I use it all the time. My favorite thing is the Boom Buoy. It's a speaker that floats on the water. I can hang out in the pool in the backyard, listen to my music. I'm a big music guy. So they just make really cool stuff that makes my life easier. So founded in 1980, Skosh Industries is a Ventura-based, Southern California, of course, Award-winning innovator of consumer technology, power sports, and car audio products. Don't forget, car audio. You're traveling, you're sitting in traffic. You guys need to check them out, skosh.com. Committed to delivering the superior products that we all want, quality and functionality, exceptional value, and unmatched customer service. The designers and engineers at Skosh develop products that reflect a rich heritage in audio and mobile technology. 
Skosh finds inspiration in the California lifestyle, culture, music, and people. These influences can be seen in accessories and products that are now in the hands of homes, offices, vehicles, and people all over the world. 50 countries, okay? Hundreds of patents, trademarks, and countless industry awards received. It's easy to see why Skosh is constantly at the forefront of technology. These guys are cool. They're huge motorcycle enthusiasts. They even gave us a product code, SCOKT25. That's SCOKT25. Use that code when you go to skosh.com. Get 25% off. Seriously, guys, go check them out. You won't ever get it. If you want to hit me up, Chris at keyforinktesting.com. I'll let you know more. But very cool guys over there. Thanks, Skosh. Skosh.com. ScreenPrintingDone.com. You guys looking to make up some shirts, hoodies, or hats with a logo on it? Or maybe you want a logo made up for your business and you want to transfer that over to some t-shirts? Go to ScreenPrintingDone.com. Neil over there is a writer. He owns the company. He is a rad human being. And he is here to hook you guys up. Order 12 shirts and get 10 for free. They have all different kinds of shirts, hoodies, hats, different fabrics, all different kinds of stuff. Go hit them up, screenprintingdone.com. Tell them Kiefer sent you and get 10 free shirts. Be sure to say Kiefer. That's right, Kiefer and screenprintingdone.com. Go check them out. Thanks, Neil. Have you guys checked out bloodlubricants.com? If you haven't, B-L-U-D lubricants.com. Go check them out. Three new series of oils, Blood Power Sport Series, the Blood Racing Pro Series, and the Blood Racing Pro Elite Series. I have Michael Allen here with me. We've been doing two different types of oils in our test bike. Mike has been doing the Blood Power Sport Series. Everything going good there? Everything's going good. I use it in all our test bikes, the ones that I prep and maintain. And uh, it runs a little cooler than production oils. And uh, I know you've done some testing with that. Yeah, so basically before Jeff and the guys came on board, I had to check legitimacy of this stuff. Because um, I didn't want no crap involved in keyframe testing. Um, honestly, tried it. Was very surprised about the oil. Did some temperature readings. It was a little over 30 degrees cooler in my YZ450F compared to some other oils I've been running. So the stuff is good. They sponsor over 250 racers from Enduro, Enduro Cross, Hair Scrambles, UTVs, Supercross now. They got some Supercross guys. So go check them out. Bloodlubricants.com. Use the discount code KEFER. And get some percentage off your oils. They'll ship them to you. Probably get a hat or two. You know, Jeff's a good dude. Go check him out. Bloodlubricants.com Thanks to the guys over at 6D Helmets. That's right there on board with the KieferInkTesting.com Kiefer Tested Podcast. We thank them for joining us. You have a street bike, a dirt bike, or do you pedal? You have a mountain bike. Head over to 6DHelmets.com Check out the full line of helmets they offer. I'm sure they have a helmet for you. Hey, I get questions all the time. Kiefer, what helmet would you choose if you could pick one to buy? If you're going to spend your own money, Kiefer, where are you going? While there are a lot of helmets that are safe out there, okay, I do feel the safest in a 6D helmet. I've had many crashes in my ATR1. I've had a couple in my ATR2, and it has done its job. It's advanced ODS technology. It's race-proven, I'm telling you guys. And it's light. The new ATR2, it comes in at 1,480 grams. It's fully rebuildable. Very cool colorways. 
I trust the guys over at 60 Helmets. Maybe you guys should too. Hit me up over at chris at keyforinktesting.com. Maybe get a special discount code if you want to get a 60. So please, guys, go check them out. 60 Helmets. Hit me up. Tell me how you like yours. And if you don't have one, maybe go get one. Thanks, 60. Hey, Heather. Hey, Chris. Did you know that every two-stroke KTM and Husqvarna come with a Vertex piston in the engine from the factory? No, I did not. 65 years ago, Vertex piston was founded in a small technical workshop in northern Italy. Today, because of the renowned reputation for exceptional quality, Vertex is an OEM supplier to KTM, Husqvarna, and more exotic brands like Beta, Gas Gas, and TM. No matter which brand of bike you ride with, when it's time to go ride or time to rebuild your top end, Vertex Pistons will have your engine performing better than new. To see their full range of two-stroke and four-stroke pistons in replica, high-compression, or GP-style configurations, visit them at vertexpistons.com or stop in your local dealer and ask for a Vertex Piston Kit today. And if you guys want a discount code, hit me up, chris at keyforinktesting.com. And I've got one for you. Save some money. VertexPistons.com. After 10 years, uh, the company had changed a lot. It was very corporate. It wasn't a small run business anymore. And uh, there was a lot of micromanaging and controlling from up above. And um, I thought, you know, um, uh, it would be best uh, in my future endeavors to move on and find something else. I did it for 10 years. There was a lot of travel. Um, I felt that uh, I'd learned enough, and I wanted to take my experience somewhere else, and I started a consulting business. And within the first couple weeks, I had six or seven new contracts, and FXR was one of them. Mm -hmm. And um, And FXR at the time, for you guys listening, wasn't a huge known, especially in America, for, for motocross gear, correct? No. No, FXR Moto Gear was non-existent okay. in America, and it was very small in Canada. Right. Uh, their their bread and butter is the snow division, and uh, the owner of the company, Milt Reimer, is uh, a huge enthusiast of moto, but snow pays the bills. And it wasn't time to get into moto. There was a lot of competition in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s, so there wasn't room for anybody. But he did dabble in it. He'd make some gear for some of the snowcross guys so they wouldn't have to go wear other people's gear. He set up FXR gear. And uh, I think one of the first riders was Marco Dubé, uh, Brock Hoyer, Earl Reimer, no relation to Milt, that would wear the FXR product. And um, it was okay. It wasn't like today. It wasn't bright and loud. and It was just gear that riders would wear. Right. Um, and then when I started working for him in 2005 was when they wanted to start moving the needle on uh, moto. And um, I had a contract from the factory Yamaha lights team in Canada called MX 101. And uh, they hired me as a business manager to help them bring in some uh, revenue to help the team and, and find some sponsors. And um, I just happened to say to the FXR manager, is it time for you to get involved on a team that could bring a championship. And they said, well, yes, we've been talking about it as well. So I kind of paired the two together and I watched over it, and we had a fantastic year. Uh, we brought Jimmy Dakotas up, yep. and he put FXR on the map for us. 
in Canada and in, I would say, New England area, and people started talking about it. Yeah. And um, he left and went somewhere else afterwards, but uh, the whole program started to really come together, and um, a lot more teams in Canada and the U.S. Uh, started knocking on the door and wanting to know more about FXR. Yeah, so going back to that, Jimmy and, and FXR, and I was wearing it at the time too, and it, when I would, I remember riding with the stuff down here, and I was like, what is that you're wearing? I haven't even heard of that. Like, I don't understand it. In 2005? Yeah. Uh, 15, sorry. Yeah, 2015. Yeah. And yeah. Um, like you said, it wasn't eye-popping colors, but the stuff looked pretty good. It, it felt good. It lasted, and it started catching on. People were like, oh, I want some of that. I want some of that, you know? And then Jimmy started, and you see someone good like Jimmy wear, then mm -hmm. it kind of gives it some clout, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it just started taking off more and more. And then now... I see a shit ton of it everywhere. Well, we we connected to the right people in 2015, and you were one of the guys that we connected to in California, and you helped us move the needle in California. You were helping us test the product and right. develop with Carson and Milton, Matt, and um, giving us really good feedback, and it uh, really did help move the, the program. And um, feedback from our riders and racers, it, it was really helpful. And uh, it just started to grow. And with my uh, relationship with the media and riders through KTM, I got to know a lot of people over the 10 years. So I leaned on a lot of friends and a lot of people to help me move the program. And it's, I think it's done very well and it's taken off. And we're in a good place right now with FXR. Um, we've podiumed at Supercrosses, funny enough, with Jimmy Nelson with the Joe Gibbs Suzuki program last year and Kyle Peters as well. We got lucky and got to sign those guys. Jimmy Dakotas. Jimmy Dakotas. Oh, you said Jimmy Nelson. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not thinking, Jimmy. Jimmy's back. Sorry. Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Dakotas. Yeah. Too many Jimmys here. Yeah. So let's go back. Jimmy Dakotas wore it on the Joe Gibbs team. Yep. And uh, got a podium at the first East Coast Supercross in Arlington. And then Kyle Peters blew his knee out at Minneapolis oh, and then right. went into East Rutherford yep. with a blown knee. Wasn't sure he was going to race. Went out in practice, made the main, uh, made the night. Had to go to LCQ, win the LCQ, and then in the final got a great start, and he was able to finish third. Right, and he got on the podium. So that really helped us move the. Uh, so let me ask name. you this: as, as a as a guy listening to this, when that happens, right, mm -hmm. um, you get a podium. Do you guys see bump in sales like that week? Do you see things like that happen? I do see a bump in it. I see a lot of interest in the product. Our social media grew. People were talking about it, looking at it. We noticed there was a lot of uh, extra attention on our website. People were checking out the product, spending time. Product was moving, selling. So it was just, you know, it was right there that organically it was growing and it was selling and it would just sell better and better and better. And every year we picked up more amateur riders you know, we'd give them some discount codes to buy the product off the website. And um, more and more people would contact track owners, associations. So the word was definitely getting out there. And today is, you know, and we're just talking right now in North America. Right. Where FXR Moto, when I, like in 2015, 16, and 17, was actually stronger in Scandinavia than it was in North America. Oh, really? Because FXR Moto, uh, sorry, FXR Snow is really strong in Scandinavia where it snows. Those um, 
people, writers, whatnot, accepted FXR immediately and started wearing the product, and our sales were stronger over there. So do you notice FXR consumer is loyal? Are they a loyal type of person? I would say they're very loyal. Yeah. Very loyal because um, in the snow belt in North America and in Europe, they can wear FXR Moto for summer and then FXR Moto or FXR for snow. Mm-hmm. And if you live in the snow belt north, you're riding a moto, riding motocross or off road, and you probably have a snowmobile at the same time. So yeah, you're probably going to buy the same product. And uh, that's what a lot of people do. So now, as a brand manager, my job is to brand the product everywhere where it doesn't snow. Right. So that's where it's... That's your background, right? That's where you come from. So that's what you're good at. And I think uh, just me, as as me just being a rider slash fan of Supercross, I I watch this stuff on TV and, and I see a lot of guys wearing it. And it's like you saturated a lot of the privateer guys, you know? And I just like Fly. Fly's the same way, I feel like. Fly does that same thing. And maybe uh, you guys don't have the top guy, but you have a lot of other riders in the main event or on the cusp. I, I'll i be honest. Um, a couple years ago, people asked me, are you going to sign a top pro rider or not? And I was like, you know, I'm a little bit nervous because riders are going down pretty quick in Supercross and getting injured. And if you sign a guy for big money and he goes down, he's not really around at the track racing anymore and promoting. So I said, you know what, I'm going to take that budget and spread it out to a lot of privateers and make them feel really important and give them good gear and promote with these guys, social media, around their areas. Because when a guy like Henry Miller comes from Millville area, when he goes to the Supercrosses in the East Coast, he's racing against the best of the best in Supercross. At that time, he was a three-digit guy. He would make the night program. Would he make the make the mains probably not but he would give his best and do the best he could but when he went back to millville area he was patted on the back for putting in a solid effort and he was the main dog of that area he was the big guy right and i feel that those guys are the ones that are spreading the word on fxr in their areas because the kids respect them and look up to them i think people want to be a part of something right i think everyone wants to be a part of something um and if they know Henry, and they go ride with Henry, and chances are a lot more people go ride with Henry than they do uh, Dean Wilson or something because Henry's way more accessible. Uh, as a human being, you want to feel like I'm close, I'm involved, and, and, and you want to, I mean, there you go. You want to wear the same shit he does. So yep. it makes sense, yeah. So that's what my strategy has been in working with riders that uh, can move the needle. Alex Rays, where, you know, he was one of the first guys in Supercross. Heath Harrison from Alabama, um, they really spread the word, and not too many Supercross guys from Alabama. Yeah, right. Uh, Alabama Slamma. Yeah, and not too, many, not too many guys racing currently from Oklahoma. Right. So, you know, those areas got a lot of attention uh, with these riders, and we got lots of attention, and uh, that's part of the game is trying to get as much TV coverage and social media and magazine coverage as possible. Well, let's talk about one of my favorite guys that you have. Yep. Do you know what I'm talking about? One of my favorite riders that you have that I love. Heather loves him more. I know who he is. Mike <laughs> Mike Brown. So Mike Brown, can we release some information on Mike here? No, not yet. Uh, we got to wait a couple more days. Um, so we're not going to say it, but Mike has something cool going on 
It's going to be a little bit different than what you guys seen, so it'll be announcement soon. But you've been helping Mike. I have. Um, Mike uh, and I kind of met each other when he was at KTM. Right. And I brought him up to Canada to race the Montreal Supercross. And at the time, they had the Enduro Cross the same weekend. So he, he'd actually ride both classes that weekend. Shocking. Shocking Mike's not. He, he said to me, um, so you're bringing me up for Enduro Cross, but there's a Supercross. I'm like, yeah. Well, can I race a Supercross too? Yeah. I'm like, uh. He'd race every day if he could. Okay. So I got to get two bikes, two everything. All right. Let's, let's give it a shot. So he went out there and won the Enduro Cross in front of 40,000 people. Cornell Nemeth was there, yep, and he yep. beat Cornell. I mean, they lapped the whole field, those two. And the race finished. He rode over to the podium, thanked everybody, got his check and his trophy, kissed the freaking trophy girl. Nice. Ran down to the starting line, hopped on his other 450 KTM, and blasted off and finished like ninth or 10th in the main in the 450. That's so cool. It's like, holy. The and- guy is a, is a gnarly dude. Like, And for those of you that don't know Mike, he's quiet. But he's such a humble, nice guy. Like he's very, uh, he's from Tennessee. Like he's just a good old boy, you know. And he still rips. I mean, the guy is forty-seven, forty-seven, and hauls ass. Yeah, I uh, met him. I met him when I was, he was like thirty-five-ish. Yeah, back at KTM, and uh, you know, I I'd known or heard of Mike Brown. I'd never met him. I knew he won the AMA two thousand one. 125 class on a pro circuit Cowie. Uh, he was a bad dude, man. Like yeah. he, he, you know, he didn't play rough, but he, he wanted to win. And when I was told that Mike's coming up to race in Canada, I was like, okay, I'm um, not sure about this one. I don't know how to handle this. And factory riders coming up to Canada to race on our factory team. It was stressful because they had like s- unbelievable, support in the u.s yeah and, they have higher expectation right? yeah and when they came to canada i mean we didn't have the best of the best and we we had good equipment but you know if they needed this or that it was like uh really no it's not going to happen it's pretty close to production with some trick parts and whatnot but he was super humble and really nice guy and i got to know him well and we created a good relationship and um when he slowed down he hit me up when i was at fxr and said hey uh, i'm available i'd love to help you out with fxr and that was in 2017. Hmm. So we're going into our third year. Third year. And um, and he's still going strong, right? He's ra- And we talked about this not too long ago. He's going to race a lot of races for 2019, right? Yeah. He told me not well, a couple months ago, the schedule for 19 looks like Loretta's, Minio's, the four-stroke nationals at Glen Helen. Wants to do a couple of the 125 dream races. Yeah, Red Bull just... Rhythm on a 252-stroke. The two-stroke national at Glen Helen. I'm like, what don't you want to do? Yeah, it's gnarly. It's he's crazy. He's going to come to Canada, race some of the 450 nationals like he's done in the past, selected ones. Um, I want to do that. Okay, we'll have to talk about that after. Mike first, though. Okay, Mike first. <laughs> um, and then he even wants to do maybe a couple off-road events just to have some fun. Wow. So we've got some exciting news coming down the pipeline next week, like Thursday or Friday, and uh, it'll be released to the public. And that'll be up on FXR's deal? It'll be FXR's, and all the social medias and all the media outlets will get all the information. Okay. And it's, um, I think it's going to be great. It's going to be fun, and Mike's looking forward to it, and it's, he's not slowing down. 
So let's let's cover a topic that's kind of I hear different sides of everything. What do you think the future of Canadian motocross is with this new series and how it's laid out? Um, I didn't see that on the schedule of things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to pop it in there. But I here's the thing. I think it's cool. I think it really shows who the best all-around rider is. Could they tweak some things? Yes. Um, you know I what? Just, I just don't know. The Arena Cross series, from, and this is an outside. This is me looking at it. The, the tracks are a joke. Like, it's so wet. It's so jacked up. They're so short. I don't feel like that should be in the series. They came in with big expectations, and at round one, uh, the dirt was let, was dumped right by the door of the arena in Abbotsford, and it rained for like a week straight, and that thing just soaked up all the water and humidity and whatnot, and then it, it snowed and got cold, so the dirt actually froze. Okay. And they brought it in because there was so much moisture in it. They brought it into the, the arena and started working with it and with the arena being so warm the mud started to thaw out and turned into like just mush mush yeah and um i wasn't at that event i was somewhere else and i was seeing some social pictures of the race with mud flying everywhere and mud on riders and you couldn't tell who was who and i was like i've never seen an arena cross with so much mud is there no roof on the stadium and then I found out later that what had happened, and I mean it was a black eye for the uh, for the Jetworks guys. I mean they didn't want to start their series looking like that right. for sure. Then the round two was in uh, Calgary, and that went fine. The track was great, dirt was fine, everything was good. There was no no issues there. And then it came to the East Coast, and uh, the dirt was very soft, and it was like play doh. It was kind of gooey. Uh, left a lot of ruts. It was difficult to ride. So you don't mind the three different disciplines in the series? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think running all three is. It's a long, long series. Yeah, I feel like that's a long year for a rider to stay in shape. But it also. I mean, there's one championship for the triple crown. Right. But then there's three other series within that series. But my problem is, I don't even. I couldn't even tell you who won each series. I, I mean, I, that's what sucks. I feel yeah. like it's it's not as prestigious when you have three different separate deals, you know? Like I can understand that. You know? And yeah. I, Moff won? Moff won a series? Moff won the full Triple Crown Championship. Okay. Pettis won the Outdoor Championship. Right. And then he won the Supercross Championship. But he didn't win the Arena Collective Cross. points, Moff won. Moff because Pettis was injured while racing West Coast Supercross. Okay. So Moff ended up getting more points in the in the Arena Cross Championship. So at the end, Moff ended up with more points at the end of the day. Okay. And then 450 winner was? It was uh, Cole Thompson that got the triple crown, but outdoor was Colton Fasciati. Okay. Um, See, that that's just, it's confusing as a fan, it, I feel like. I agree. Um, I think... Rockstar had a big play in that, and they wanted to make this a triple crown and something real exciting. And I think they're on to something. I I believe it's going to happen again this year. I guess we'll have to see how it rolls this year. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, I think it's good for the riders. They have a chance to make more money. I'm all about riders making more money. I think that's cool that they're doing something. They're trying something new. I can respect that. But it's just for me as a fan, I love Canadian moto. It's hard for me to follow, and it's hard for me to 
and I, and I and I was good friends with Dylan Epstein when he was going up this year, mm-hmm. and he was just saying, you know, as a rider standpoint, man, I, I don't want to arena cross right now. It's like, where am I riding? How do I ride this? And I got to switch. I'm riding outdoors. I'm trying to set this up for my bike, and I'm I'm all screwed up. Like I don't know how to get ready, and be peaked for each discipline. You know, it's expensive for the teams because you go from arena cross settings to outdoor to supercross, right? And the arena cross tracks were not like real gnarly crazy supercross tracks or mellow arena because they had amateurs then you got regular outdoor and then you have supercross and montreal was part of that where it was a real real deal supercross and a lot of guys were caught off guard with not real supercross setup and i mean they couldn't even ride montreal and then a couple weeks later they did a regular supercross i'm not saying it was a supercross in a stadium it was a little bigger floor at an arena cross track that they called a supercross. I kind of play on words. So, I mean, you had to set the bike up really different. And that's expensive for a team. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we're going to be looking for 2019. Who are the players you think this year for both classes coming in? I mean, we just talked about Jess, how good he's been doing here in the first few rounds of supercross. Pedals, yeah, Pedals will be uh, a guy to, to watch out. He's on a new team. He's... Uh, getting a lot of seat time with the new KTM and his and his program, um, but you know I think he had a really fast bike uh, with the Yamaha program. Yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, he, you know, he two years ago he finished behind Moffenbier, and then Moffenbier went to Kawasaki, and then Pettis just destroyed the field last year, and Moffenbier di- was not on the podium as many times as he was the year before. Correct. And Dylan Wright um, had some good results, but wasn't quite up there as much as I thought he would be. Um, we need to talk about Dylan's home life. Okay. I think, I, I, Dylan, I know Dylan. He's a good kid. Yeah. He's just, man, he's he's bouncing with the chicks, too many different chicks. I felt like I was hurting his performance a little bit. I know Dylan, and I know how good he is, and I felt like this last year wasn't a good representation of how good he is. Like Prince George, he was unbelievable how fast he was. Yeah. He was, that's the that's the Dylan I know, and I don't know why he couldn't put it together every weekend. I mean, he he he's got a great team. He had a good bike. He can ride the bike, no problem. Yeah, and he struggled. Um, he was the fastest guy sometimes on the track, but he would go down way too many times. Um, but you know, Pettis was incredible this year. Marco Canella rode really well too. Up and comer, Moffenbier, um, Tanner Ward also looked good out there. Some decent results. Before we move into the four fifties, as an American fan watching Canadian Canadian Moto, who is the next big thing up and coming in Canadian? Is there a guy saying, "Oh wow, this kid's going to be really good in America too"? Like, is there one kid coming up? I would say in Canada, I'd say Marco Canella is possibly that next rider. He's very young. Um, he didn't have a lot of pressure on him last year, and he had some really good results. Uh, he's training with some good guys, and I think we'll see some good things from him this year. I feel he's probably the next guy behind the Pettises, and you know, Moffin Byers have already moved on to 450s, so I think he could be the next guy. Canella. Canella. Is he an MX101 kid? He's an MX101 kid. Okay. Um, he trains at Club MX. Uh, lives in Eastern Canada, great family behind him. So I think we'll see some bigger and better things from him this year. Is he being biased because he's FXR? 
No, I just, I really didn't know the kid that much, but that well, when they signed him, I thought, okay, well, you know, he's maybe an up and comer and we have to give him a chance. Yeah. Um, Byer moved on. Pettis moved to number one. They needed a number two. And Canella had been on Yamaha's and, and, uh, they decided to make a, take a chance on him. And he, he was great. He actually finished third in the championship. Oh, wow. So, so does MX101 have a new guy? Did they have a, did they, I know they're looking for a rider. Did they figure out, figure that out yet? No, they're, um, when they lost Pettis to KTM, that left the door open for a number one rider that would race arena cross, motocross, and supercross. So I think Kevin is taking his time researching, talking to a lot of people to make sure that he makes the right move to hire that right guy. Canadian kid, you think, or be an American? I don't think there's any Canadian kids that can compete at that level to win a championship okay. that uh, are available. Um, there's no one that I know of uh, from coast to coast. That, yeah, no, there's some go- good kids, but right. not to go out and replace you know the shoes of Pettis right. or the boots. So 450 class, some changes. Um, just from what I know, Gurky is on a Cowie now. Gurky moved to Kawasaki. Yep. Um, Moffenbeier moved from Cowie to Yamaha, the OTSF program. Right. So he's a rock star FXR rider. Yep. And he's got a new teammate, uh, Phil Nicoletti. Yep. Filthy. Filthy Phil. Um, I think, hey, he's going to be good. Phil is steady. He's solid. I feel like he's the guy who could win the championship whole thing, right? He may not be winning a lot of races, but he's going to be in the mix, especially when it comes to outdoor. I think he's going to be really freaking good. He's good. And he has, he's also, you know, in Canadian standards and speed, he's got great speed in Canada. In the U.S., he was, you know, an 8 to 10 guy. Dude, he podiumed. Well, he true. He did podium. Yeah. So, you know, he's definitely got the speed. If his equipment is up to par and he can get his Yamaha working good, I, I can't see why he can't be at the top of the box. But then you've got Colton Faciati that, you know, he, man, he was the five-time Canadian champion. He's solid. He Apparently, he's coming back. But I heard only for outdoors. Oh, really? Yeah, only for outdoors. And I heard that... Um, Is that a Thompson-Faciati thing, beef? Is that why, you think? Or? No, I think he just... It's too early for him to get involved and test for arena cross and supercross. And um, he's more of an outdoor guy. And uh, he doesn't do much racing over the winter. And he trains in um, uh, GPF, GPF, yep. with uh, Josh Woods and those guys. Yep. And um, I think he's just really focused on outdoors. Right. Um, he's got a home life and a family and stuff. He and he's got a good home life. He's got it. That's a long series, you know, from for that whole triple crown. I think he's just focusing on outdoor championship. And I heard that Michael Lessey is part of that program. No shit. On a four fifty. So he'll be on the G- on the GDR. Yeah, really. Yeah, good for Mike. So Mike, that makes sense because Mike was down here at Christmas time. We rode for about a week when he was down here, and he was on, uh, you know, one of Tony's bikes, Hondas, and he looked really good on that Honda, man. It kind of makes sense. I mean, talking to Mike, he doesn't really want to do Supercross. He's done that, the outdoor US. Um, he likes the Canadian series. He's been up there for many years. And with his dad's program on Hondas, he would have some really good equipment to help the um, Canadian guys. So it only made sense if it if it doesn't cost a lot of money to that team, then Derek and the guys would bring him up and and help Colton and help both of them. And they have us two solid guys for outdoors. Yeah, that's a good team. 
And then uh, on KTM, um, Cole, right? Cole Thompson. Yep. And then um, Kevin Benoit retired. Yeah, I heard that. So he. That seems weird. He's young. He's 27, 28. Yeah. Is he just just too many injuries. Yeah. Way too many injuries. I hired him when I was at KTM. Yeah, I remember working with him a little bit when yeah. I was there with you. Great kid. Yeah, very nice. Just uh, he. I'm not going to say he's fragile. He just had a lot of a lot of bad luck and got hurt. And he tried hard, and I think he was just tired of being hurt. And he's got a good home life. He's he's got a new uh, baby on the way. Oh, good. So um, I think he he had told me that there was no way in the world that he would race a championship with a newborn and taking the wife and the baby co- from coast to coast. He says, "There's no way I'm going to stay home and." raise the baby the right way and do it the right way and not put my wife through that. Right. And I guess everything just came together and he decided to call it quits. And uh, I think he did well and he's got some good investments. And um, I think he's fine with the way things have turned out. So who's your pick, 250, 450? I don't know who the MX-101 guy is. I don't know who that guy is, but Pettis will definitely be yeah, hard gonna, to beat. Pettis two fifty for me. Filthy, I think, is going to win. I'd like to. I'd like to see Filthy win it. Yeah, it's obviously because of XR, but um, it's a new year for him. He hasn't seen any of those real outdoor tracks yet, so it's going to be a little different. But I, I don't think it'll take him hard. He's in. Yeah, he's a good rider. He's in a... New York. Uh, he's a stubborn little fucker. Like he's gonna. He is gonna. He's tough for one. He's mentally pretty strong. I think all that's gonna, you know, be really good for him coming in. And watching season. him at Ironman and and uh, Unadilla last year, I mean, he proved he was a top runner. He can ride in the mud and the soft and the sand and whatnot. And uh, he's got a good team behind him. He'll be hard to beat, definitely. All right, so it'll well, be interesting. Andy, I appreciate you doing this. No, thank you. Hey, for and everybody. Andy went riding today. So if you guys listening out there, Andy does ride. You national number twelve in what year? 86. I went riding with a national number 12 rider today. Still got it. Still rides good. Yeah, I had lots of fun. Um, when you live in Canada and travel so much, you don't really get time to throw your leg over a bike and get out there. But when I come up here, it was nice to have an extra bike around and we get out. But um, I've never actually gone riding with you in the <laughs> desert here. Um, I've ridden... I actually did. I rode at that uh, media event at Kauia yep, yep. in December, and I saw you in the track. I don't think you saw me, and then you were gone, and I was like, man, that was my first opportunity to ride with you. Right, and we'd known each other for how long? Yeah, for since 2004, Long I think. time, right. So today was the first time, and um, I made sure I got out of your way when you were passing me on the left side. <laughs> no, it was cool. We I made Andy do... <laughs> So we uh, we always go out and have a structure. We do our thing. We're testing stuff. But we always try to do a sprint lap and do some things. And I made Andy do a sprint lap, so that's good. Andy's time was 3.22? Somewhere around there. Yeah, so yeah. he's he's in the mix. So next time he comes down here, we're going to send him back out to that track and see if his lap time is better. Well, I haven't been on a bike since before Christmas. And I probably won't get on a bike until April. So it's a little hard to go out there and just like <laughs> bang out some motos yeah, on a bike I've never ridden yeah. before, ever seen. Right. And, uh, you know, arm pump was definitely there for the first couple laps and yeah. it took a little while for it to go away. Yeah. But as I rode longer and longer, it got better and better. And 
I got to ride a few different bikes today, and which was a lot of fun. Yeah. So if yeah. you see a redheaded guy with an FXR jacket, FXR shirt, go shake his hand. Give him a hug. That's what I would do. He loves hugs, people. Come give him a hug. He'll be at San Diego Supercross this weekend, and his buddy Carson. If you see a tall guy, good-looking fellow, not smiling a lot, sometimes emo, that's my buddy Carson. He's a good dude. He's very serious. Yeah, he's very serious. He's yeah. a good guy. But yeah. Carson is the designer of FXR. Um, he's one of the designers, and he's the guy behind the scenes doing a lot of the R&D development, yeah. working with brownies and other riders to, to develop the best gear possible. And it's cool because Carson listens. You know, all the times that I've bitched at him and, you know, helped him out with things, he, he actually improves the stuff. So I think that's really cool. And he's a writer, too. Yeah, exactly. So he yeah. gets it. He's, he's just very, six foot four. He's very, <laughs> very passionate six foot four moto guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, no, it's great having him on the team and Matt Ham and Milt and all the other crew that work with us. They do a fantastic job uh, of helping with FXR moto. And uh, every day it just grows and grows. It's awesome. Yeah. So there you have it. Andy White, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll see you tomorrow morning. Or let's go in the jacuzzi now. All right. Let's hit it.